0: so you're a lawyer and your clients are squeezing you for lower fees how do you put more cash in your pocket we want to expose you to new ways of practicing law endless hours with no home life and a lease on an expensive office are so 1999 it's time to make a change for the better here to help you with that is your host ron Boxdollar. welcome to the 1958 lawyer podcast Welcome to the 1958 Lawyer. Great to have everyone here today. Our guest today is Steve Mesero with Mesero Financial. If you're in Chicago, you definitely know Mesero Financial, one of the largest financial firms in the city, one of the top in the country. So, Steve, let me give you a quick introduction. You know, we were just talking about this, so I'm going to mention it. Steve's got a master's in history, a master's in teaching, started to go into teaching and then found his way back into financial planning. Been doing it for 25 years now. I uh, joined the firm that Correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but your grandfather founded. You joined the firm back in 1993. A couple of things that I will, I think are really, really great on Steve's part is he's, uh, he serves on the Jewish United Fund Health and Human Services Subcommittee. He's developed a social investment strategy, Mesereo, uh, prod impact, I- impact management portfolio strategy that invests in, yeah, invests in companies with a positive corporate culture. Steve's got a ton of things he's done, so I'll stop right there. I'll let Steve take off. Steve, welcome to the show. Great to have you.
1: Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to see you again.
0: Yeah, we got to get into that whole history and teaching thing down the road. But, uh, you know, let's start off. You work with a lot of law firms, a lot of attorneys that make a lot of money and how they can protect that money and maybe keep more of it from taxes. Let's start there and let's lay out a couple of things we want to talk about today.
1: Sure. The first subject that that I think you and I want to talk about is lawyers, we were just discussing lawyers, all of their income is ordinary income taxed at at the highest rates. And so the issue with lawyers is how can we help them protect and build their wealth and do this in a tax advantaged way? And the most powerful tool out there to help do this is what's called a cash balance plan. And a cash balance plan is... A supercharged retirement plan, which will let a attorney put let an individual put away somewhere around it depends on their age, but it could be around two hundred thousand dollars a year of pre tax income up to that amount, and the way they get there is a regular 401k. You have your limit. You can put away a little bit each year. What this works, the way a cash balance plan works, is you're giving yourself a very generous pension plan and the government lets you put away a very generous pension plan where you get to fund about 2.6 million dollars by the time you retire and so they back into the math of that and say okay if we're going to get to 2.6 million and you're 50 years old here's how much you have to put away each year to do that and so you get to put it away in a tax advantaged account which grows like grows like any regular retirement plan And then the end game, the end game usually is when you reach that, when you reach that limit, you roll it into an IRA and take it out in your retirement, like I, like normal IRA distributions.
0: Okay. Ton of questions here. And I want to go back. We're going to talk about the cash balance plan first. And then I want to go back into a little bit of your history. Sure. Uh, Because I remember when I first, I'll go there right now. I remember when I first met you, I go, man, the only Mesero I know is like Mesero Financial, you know, the one whose name's on that big building over there on Clark Street. And you go, Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> Like, wow, you're Steve Mesero. That's pretty impressive. So let's go right there, real quick, and then we're gonna come back to the sure. cash balance plan. Tell us the history and and how is it that we're talking with Steve Mesero from Mesero Financial, which like I said, everyone in Chicago knows.
1: So my grandfather started, my grandfather started from actually. He was a, he graduated law school before he was 21, and he had to wait. I mean, you couldn't take the bar until you were 21. So he took a job at an investment firm and stayed in the business forever. So he started the firm about 84 years ago as a one man shop and then took on partners, took on more partners. My father was partner number 10 in 1960 and we're now about 500 we're now about 500 employees of which about 200 are shareholders so in many ways a law firm is the only thing that is similar to that where you have such a diverse ownership of you have 200 owners in a 500 person and a 500 person firm and and what happens is and that affects the culture that affects the culture of the firm because you have so many owners walking through and everyone is more concerned about where we're going to be five years from now than the next six months. There's no, there's no quarterly earning pressure because there's, no there's no outside shareholders.
0: Yeah, you could just focus on the clients. And you have, I mean, you have clients other than attorneys, but attorneys, I mean, the successful attorneys are making a lot of money. And as you and I talked about, it's a cash income. It's not like they're getting uh, invest shares. Uh, stock stock options. options.
1: Right. So the problem attorneys face, I, I deal with wealthy individuals and they generally have, yeah, I deal with wealthy individuals. And the problem attorneys face is all of their wealth is developed through ordinary income that's taxed at the highest rate, as opposed to, know, I have clients who are small business owners and some who are getting stock options from, from the public companies they work for but the lawyer is faced with ordinary income and and your population is particularly is particularly good because they're all small business they're all small business owners as well and as small business owners there's some complications you have being a small business owner there's definitely some challenges there but there's also the other side of the coin is there's opportunities that you can change things and change the construct so that it favors you, so that it favors you, and you can take advantage of different, you know, of different things.
0: Yeah, you're the, you know, but the seven eight hundred law firms that I work with at Amada, they're right in this in the wheelhouse of, they're making quite often a lot of money, but what do you do? How You got to pay your taxes. So then they're finding ways to go spend the money, maybe adding employees they don't need, which some people on the outside might look in and say, well, why are they doing that? With like, well, why not? Because I'm going to pay taxes anyway. I'm just reducing my tax burden, but instead of spending money uselessly where they're not really getting a true value out of it, there's a cash balance plan. They could be throwing a couple hundred thousand dollars before taxes. Before
1: taxes. And your, and your construct also works particularly well because when you set up a retirement plan, you have to include, you have to include all your employees. Now that's not that big of a deal. And if you have, you know, a handful of employees, these plans still work really well. But if you outsource in your model, if you outsource your paralegal and your legal secretary and some other and some other functions, if you're the only employee or if you're one of the only if you're one of the only employees, you can be generous as hell to your pension plan because your your retirement plans are, in fact, you. Yeah, well, that goes <clears> so the same thing. Your so your construct and model is particularly well suited for this model.
0: When it comes down to his education, you got to, you know, they need to understand that there's a better way to do things. And, and when you told me about this cash balance program, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, there's a the way to save that much money before taxes. I'd never heard of this. In fact, I went to a couple of uh, state planning attorneys who had never heard of this, which you know probably shocked me even more, but we need now to be in front of them.
1: There's another side of this, which is also a little bit of a benefit is I'm not sure how great of a concern this is. But when you put your money into a retirement plan, there are also creditor protection facilities. And so when you're running your own small business, it's usually not an issue, but in the back of your mind, you know, if someone's going to be sued, it's you. (laughs) So, uh, right. There is no, there is no one else to hide behind. So the fact the creditor protection piece is you're getting that, you're getting that sort of as an afterthought for free. And it's. It varies by state to state, but ERISA plans, which retirement plans are, have very good have very good protections in there. So it's a nice added it's a nice added benefit. It's not a reason to do, it's not a reason to do these, but it's a nice it's a nice added benefit to juicing up your retirement plans.
0: So, Steve, I'm I'm thinking of an a, a specific attorney who's 61 years old, who's been practicing for quite some time, and you know he spent the first say 20 years of his practicing. Like, you know, paying for kids school, both of his daughters went on to law school and got a master's and a PhD. So, you know, he spent money, but now he's at that prime, I guess in the last 10 years have been at that prime age where it's, I can save because I don't really got all these other expenses, but is that the age that you say, okay, it's time to look at that? Or do you say, Hey, I just told you, I was talking to a 32 year old family law attorney who's doing very well right now. You know, is, that, is this 32 the time that says, Hey, let's start, maybe start with a hundred thousand a year. And can you change this pension amount or is it have to be fixed? Give us some details.
1: So it actually what happens with one of these retirement, you know, I would say any time is a good time to save. Now, when you're 32, you also have the time the power of time. And whatever you put away, even if it's a small amount, has got the compounding effect of year after year after year. And that's very powerful. The way the way a pension plan works is you get to favor, you get to discriminate. This is the only plan you're allowed to discriminate in favor of older people. So the 32 year old might only be able to put away 80 to hundred thousand dollars. The 60 year old you're talking about can probably put away $250,000 or more because they have a shorter window to reach. They have a shorter window to save money and build up their pension until retirement plan. So it favors the old. Now, if you have What's kind of interesting with these plans, it is also work. Say you have one or two employees. I don't, say your 60-year-old has two or three employees. The odds are that he is older, he or she, sorry, he or she is older than the employees. And so when you put away money for each person in your plan, you get to skew it in favor of the older person if you want. Now, you can do the same amount, you can do the same percentage across the board to everybody. But if you want to skew in favor of the older, you can. And that's, and that almost always works out. And that almost always works out in favor of the owner.
0: So we're talking, what's the highest tax rate right now? Is it 36.9 or
1: yes? And it's going to and it's probably going to go up a couple percent.
0: And then we also, because if you're in the state of Illinois, you also can you defer an extra five percent.
1: So Illinois state tax is five percent. And, and that's, I have no idea what's going to happen with taxes in Illinois. My guess is that they're going to stay the same or, or go up, but that's purely a guess. I would have no great insight to that, but there's a fluke in Illinois tax. And that is retirement plan money. When you put in, you get, you're deferring on the Illinois state tax. When you take money out of a a retirement plan or IRA in Illinois, there's no state tax. So for example, say you have your 60 year old person. They put away $100,000 into a retirement plan on a pre-tax basis. All right, so they're saving on Illinois and they're saving on federal. They turn around the next month. They turn around Jan. they put, do, put it, do it for 2001. In 2022, they take the money out. They take out the hundred thousand dollars. They're going to pay federal ordinary income tax, but they're not going to pay Illinois. So by just moving your money in and out of a retirement plan, you're saving 5% for Illinois right away.
0: So I just, I want to be honest with you. You just went above my pay grade, but uh, that's pretty exciting. I mean, that's a reason just to give you a call and talk about this, right? It's,
1: and it's a bizarre, yes, it's a bizarre fluke in Illinois that that is allowed. Most other states tax retirement plans as ordinary income, but Illinois has has that provision in there for whatever reason, that, that retirement plans and pensions are not currently taxable.
0: So I want our listeners just to remember cash balance plan, write that down. You want to talk to Steve about that. And we're going to move on, but we'll definitely probably come back to that at some point. Let's talk about some of the other options that are out there for our solo practitioners, our partner practice law firms that are just looking at how they can you know, keep some of their own money.
1: You know, another great tool, and I don't think I discussed this with you, is donor advised funds. If you are philanthropic, say you were giving away $10,000 a year to your various charities, whatever they, whatever they may be. You've probably lost your deduction. You've probably lost your deduction of whether you, when you can itemize that. In Illinois and some of the, in New York and some of the other high tech states, the deduction became not as valuable. What you can do to cross that threshold is instead of doing $10,000 a year, you can do $50,000. You can bunch a couple years. So do $50,000 in one year, get your deduction, and the donor advised fund works like your own philanthropic fund. You then dish out the money year by year to your charities whenever they're ready for, whenever you're ready to give it away. So you still give away the same $10,000 a year you were planning on doing, but you can manipulate your deduction into one year to cross that threshold. That is also very helpful for if your income fluctuates. So, so theoretically, if you're going to, say you're going to retire in four years, but you're planning on giving to your causes for the rest of your life, you want to accelerate your deductions into those last years where you've got your high income. So you can put it into a donor advised fund. So I've had people accelerate their deductions into those higher tax years, and then they have the money to give out to their charities later on. Or I've had some If your income fluctuates for whatever reason your business, you have some big years, you have some low years, you shove your deduction and your charitable contributions into the year that's more meaningful for your taxes and still give out your money as time goes by.
0: So when you're talking, you're talking about the years, maybe the last five, 10 years of work, work years, where you still have that heavy taxable income coming in, probably the most taxable income you've ever had in your life. Is that's when you want to create? And now, do you create your own donor advised fund, or you, is there organizations out there you could do it through?
1: There's organizations you can do it through. So, Fidelity has one, Schwab has one. There's a number of them that's, there's a number of them that do it on a on a very cheap basis, and uh, and it's it's relatively easy. And then while the money's in there, it can sit and grow each year. But depending on you know, some people's income fluctuates of either they may have over their careers fluctuate from the private sector to the public sector and their income may fluctuate or, you know, they settle a big case and they have big income one year and they have lower income in their other years. I'm sorry. I missed that.
0: No, no, no. I'm uh, we're doing this show remotely and my children are home. So I was asking them to uh, keep it down. Sorry about that. No problem. You know, that's what happens when you have five young children coming home from school. You're here. All right, so let's jump into: Are there such a thing as a 401k or profit sharing plan for a solo or a small firm?
1: Absolutely, and you can do that. And that may be the answer if you are want to contribute. If you want to contribute up to dollars a year, then a solo 401k or profit sharing plan. Is probably the answer, or sometimes a SEP. Those might be the answer. This cash balance part is only on the accelerated when you want to do a greater, a greater version. And sometimes, sometimes you work them in combination with each other. But the first part is to sit down and figure out what is the need? What am I after here? You know, what am I after here? What can I do? What what flexibility does each plan? What flexibility does each plan have? And what are the Practical costs of implementing of implementing such a thing, and there are, and some things are great in theory, but then there's the practicality of of how it of how it works out.
0: So I'm trying to, so we're looking at like a 401k SEP of a profit sharing plan of up to you say sixty up
1: to about sixty five thousand dollars. Okay, that's that's the route to go, and the other piece that people can do at the moment, although Congress was talking about maybe changing this rule, is you can do what's called a backdoor Roth IRA. And a backdoor Roth IRA, even if you're doing your profit sharing plan or 401k or one of these other regular retirement plans, you can do what's called a backdoor Roth IRA at the moment. And what that does is you can make a you're allowed to make a non-deductible ira contribution you do that and then at some point later you convert that ira to a to you convert that to a roth ira and the cost to do that is you pay the difference of your basis to what it's worth so if you contribute $6000 to a roth ira your basis is $6000 you convert it a month later and it's worth $6,005. You pay tax on the $5 gain, but you've, you've essentially made yourself a Roth contribution of $6,000. And you can do that for yourself and you can do that for your spouse. And that is very powerful, especially if you're younger and you have time to start- so the benefits
0: putting- of that Roth IRA is you're not going to be, once it's a Roth, in a Roth IRA, you're not going to pay- taxes on the income, correct?
1: It's always after tax money. So the way right. to think about retirement plans, at some point, the government is going to get their tax. So on a, a 401k profit sharing or pension or, or cash balance pension plan, you're putting your money in pre-tax and then you're taking it out in later years. When, and as you take it out in later years, then you start paying the tax as it comes out in later years. A Roth IRA you're putting the money in after tax and you're putting the money in after tax and it stays after tax. And the plus to both the plans is they get to grow tax advantaged. Whatever it earns every year, you're not taxed on. So one way to think about all these retirement plans is if you had it in your own name and it was earning money, the money that would be going to the taxes, you get to keep in your account. And that money that would be going to taxes gets to earn money year after year after year. And that's why the compounding is so much more powerful in a retirement plan, whether it's a Roth or a regular, it's so much more powerful because all that money that would have been going to the government gets to keep working for you year after year.
0: So, now I remember talking about that, the, the Roth is a 6,000 per year each year, but you are, we're saying uh, the backdoor is we would start it with a regular IRA
1: each year. You do the same You do six. Yes. Your clientele most likely is not eligible to do a regular Roth IRA. Because their income is too high. Yeah. Okay. Their income is too high, which is why this, but this backdoor is sort of a anachronism of the, of the code that you can, you can make a non-deductible IRA and then, and then convert it, convert it later. And you're only paying, and you're not paying, you're not, you're only paying taxes on money over your basis, which is going to be insignificant.
0: Right. And those years when you're not, when maybe if you have a bad year, income's not as high, so your taxes aren't going to be high. Maybe those are the years you take and do the conversion. Would that make more sense?
1: If you have a low year, it's a great year to convert regular retirement plan money to Roth and take advantage of any year you have a lower income. And ultimately, you know, nobody, it's not bad to have a combination of personal money, ordinary retirement money and Roth money, because, you know, while we can go with what the rules are now, it's good to have flexibility because the, the tax rules will change over the next 20, 30 years. They always have. So We're it's, it's out, good to think, keep a little flexibility.
0: Absolutely. And you've talked about I four distinct programs here. We had our cash balance plan, which is amazing. You got your uh, 401k, your profit sharing program, your IRA, and then your Roth IRA. Let's talk about financial planning as a whole. Cause I think all of us, we hear from, we, there's a lot of financial planners out there. At least if you're running it in our circles, I think you talk to a lot of them. You know, what's the difference, you know, what's the difference between being a fiduciary and not being a fiduciary kind of, what do we need to look for, Steve? So first off, there's
1: two different ways people operate. There's RIAs, which stands for Registered Investment Advisors, and they will, they will all operate as fiduciaries. And I'm in that category. We operate as a fiduciary, where a brokerage house up, operates under, um, under different status. Uh, they operate under the brokerage rules, and they're held to a lower standard. And I don't need to tell lawyers the difference between fiduciary and not fiduciary but if it's the same price i'd probably rather have a fiduciary. So most wirehouses, most of the big firms that you most of the big national chains you think of operating under brokerage rules despite what's in their commercials when, when push comes to shove they're your brokerage client. The other thing i would say to your group is even if you're good at even if you're good at investments and you enjoy it It's not the best use of your time. You have to think of your business as a business and what's the best allocation of my time as a resource. And you've got some terrific specialized knowledge and qualifications that most other people don't have. So, the best use of your time is to work on your business and not be following down the rules of different financial planning aspects or chasing down. You know, chasing down a couple stocks, that might not be the best utilization of your time. The other piece that we often do for people, and part of what makes it fun is while we start with what the client's after and what's going on in their life and trying to make their money fit their life, we've got tools where the technology is great nowadays. I can suck in the data from the bank accounts, the mortgage, the insurance policy. The swap account, the old 401k, it all sucks into one place. And I have a living, breathing balance sheet that updates every night. And so I can see exactly my clients and I can see their net worth every day, updated, you know, both their assets and liabilities updated each, each night. And what that does for me is it allows me. Our financial planning tools to make projections and figure and help answer the questions of can I retire in three years? Can we buy the second house? I want to send my kid to private school. What is that going to mean? Can we join this country club or not? What if we downsize our house? What if we upsize our housing? Those are the questions that I like to discuss with people. And I think those are the more interesting those are the more interesting questions to discuss because those are more meaningful. And then we, we have some clients where we tell them, look, it's you're going to run out of money at 83 years old. That doesn't sound that old to me anymore.
0: Not Um, today, not today where I was at grandma's hundredth birthday party a couple weeks ago. So 83 is young.
1: Right. Right. And so, and life is full of choices. If we do X, what's the consequence of that going to be? Or I've had other times where I've had people who were trying to lower their spending and increase their savings, but they were doing it in meaningless ways. They were going out to dinner less or they were doing little things that were impacting their lives a lot, but weren't that meaningful to the big picture. So I want my I want my people to worry about the right things that are impactful and not sweat the little things that aren't.
0: It's interesting. I don't know that. Do you or your clients ever think about that year when they start to make more money on their investments than on their day-to-day annual income? Is that a is that a year you celebrate?
1: <laughs> yes, that would be. Well, that, that's, I like to refer to that as your your when you reach financial independence, that your assets can produce enough to support your lifestyle, and then. You may want to keep working because you enjoy it. So you want to keep building. You want, you enjoy it. You want to keep building your wealth, whatever the, you know, whatever the reason, terrific. You know, that's, that's great. But it's nice to know in the back of your mind, hey, I have this, I have this here and I'm doing this for my enjoyment. And so maybe I don't need to, maybe I don't need to put up with
0: X, So there's two things I want to, I mean, I want to like paint a scenario for our listeners. Let's talk about that 32 year old family law attorney and let's give her some objectives. Let's say she's going to, I mean, most of us love to work and most of the attorneys I'm with, they work until they can't work anymore, you know, well into their seventies or eighties, but let's just say she wants to quit at 70 and she wants to walk away with $5 million, just hypothetical. I mean, can we work backwards and Is that what you do when you work, when you sit down with someone and say, let's work, but what are you going to need to do? Let's figure it all out.
1: We work backwards either from a dollar figure, like, like a X, X dollars, or we work from, Hey, I'm going to need $250,000 a year after tax to live my life. Because the other part of this is while we have these different pieces of money, they're all taxed at different, they have different tax implications. And so the, the issue is how much money can I pull out after tax a year? And we have, we have tools and software that help model that. And usually what I like to do with a client is I'm a big believer of getting their other professionals in the same room. So once a year, I often meet with my, my client and their accountant, or every couple of years, the client, the accountant, and the estate attorney. And what I find is that each of us helps make the other one better at their job. The information that each of us has helps the other, helps the other immensely. And it also, while it's an investment, while it's it's an initial investment of my time, it ends up saving me lots of time because decisions are made much quicker and easier with your whole board of advisors in one room, there's no, what I was finding before I did this is the client was the messenger between each person and the client shouldn't be the messenger. And they might not relay everything with the subtleties that, that each of us are, are speaking, but then it's real easy for the client. Everybody's in the same room. And what often happens is the client then turn. I'll make a suggestion. The client will turn to the accountant and attorney and say, is this what I should do? And the attorney and the accountant say, yes, that's exactly what our other people are doing. And we cut right to the chase. So it ends up being a big time saver for all the parties and also ends up getting a little bit better results because when the accountant or attorney or myself are operating in a vacuum and don't know what the other person is doing as part of the plan, you know, it's, it's each of us is a means to the client's end
0: right let's talk a little bit about cuz you got a time frame right so you're practicing law you got your own practice when do you make a decision to sell and get out and then what do i do with my funds that i you know maybe it's an earnout maybe it's a 5 year earnout but let's say it's a 5 year earnout with a, a balloon at the end and you're you're picking up this uh, 2 million dollars at the end what do i do with that 2 million dollars you know how would you consult on something like that give me some ideas
1: it depends back towards that that picture that you just painted where the person wants to get to, I want to get to $250,000 a year and my kids educated, which I know is going to cost 50,000 a year for these four years, or I'm talking to a bunch of professionals, seven years of uh, seven years of school. So we back out through that and then we can see where we can take risk and where we can't take risk. And from where I sit, I often the often I have people who are too reluctant to take risk because of the, of the ups and downs of the stock market. And my greatest fear from where I sit is that somebody lives a really long, healthy, a long, healthy life. And so being too cautious in the short term can end up hurting them if they live to 105 like grandma. Yeah. Um, so that's what I want to reserve and protect against. And the, So what I often do is we set up some money that's safe, that's buying us, that's giving us our time to and our staying power to wait through any lousy period. And lousy periods, it's not they might come. They will come. It's like winter. I, I know it's coming at some point. So there will be some horrible down years. There will also be some wonderful, great years. So as long as you have the staying power in the short term to get through that, you can invest for the long term and get your real growth and build your wealth that's, that's meaningful for you and wonderful for your family as well.
0: Well, I like the way you got that reference on Game of, the, Game of Thrones in there. You know, winter's coming. It's inevitable. They're going to have, you know, it's funny if you look at the last 20 years, I mean, I've, I've owned my company for 20 years now and every 10 years, there's something you know, there was the 08-09 crisis that was supposedly a once-in-a-lifetime financial meltdown, which I'm doubting that that's actually the case. And now we've had this pandemic that's really set people back. But it's actually, if you if you pivoted in you know certain businesses, you've done really well. So yeah, you know, within ten years, there's going to be something else that's going to go. Whoa, it's going to hit us.
1: I assume that out of ten years, we're always going to have two terrible years, and the reasons different every time. If we knew. You know, there's things we can point to right now that make me nervous, but it's often the something that nobody's thought of. Nobody thought of the pandemic. Nobody thought that the mortgage financial crisis would balloon the way it did. And there will be something new. It's there for sure. But the, if you have the staying power to sit through it, you end up just fine. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, let's, uh, we're going to be wrapping up. So Steve, give us some final thoughts, things you want to relay to our listeners, and then we'll, uh. And we want to close with how they can reach out to you also.
1: So this is good, fun stuff for me. And I have a team of people with me. I've got some younger people. I've got some I've got some other colleagues. And we try and find a fit. We try and find a fit for everybody. And not everybody has to be a fit for me. But I'm happy to sit down and talk and see if we can help them and who they might be a help for, or who might be the right fit for them. I would say that this is... This is not always the best use of your time to do it yourself. There are things that I have that there's things that I see because we do this every day. There's sometimes for the higher end clients, there's sometimes uh, different investments that we would, that we get to see because we're doing this every day. And the, the little bit that you're paying somebody, which generally works out to be somebody's paying somewhere between three quarters and 1% is a, is a normal, is a normal rate then an advisor, advisor, whether it's me or someone else down the block, should be able to add that much value. And A, add value over time. And secondly, protect you from the one or two mistakes that might happen over 10 years that'll be critical, or to bring an opportunity to you that might be critical over time.
0: You mentioned mistakes, but you know, it's, it, you want to point out that a small mistake at the time you do it could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars over the time, you know, a 20, 30 year savings period.
1: There's this whole field where we're hardwired as human beings. There's a whole psychology element to this. There's a field called behavioral finance, which postulates and studies that we're hardwired as human beings to make bad financial decisions. And it's nobody's fault. It just is. And the biggest and most obvious one that I've seen a hundred times in my career is people will extrapolate whatever's just happened past three or six months will continue forever, except that it never does. So when things are good, people are sending me in money because they only see things going up and they hear their neighbors talking and they think this is just going to keep going forever. And so they send in money when markets are high, when the markets are crashing people extrapolate. If I lost 20% in the past two months, and the downturns are always quick and sharp. If I lost 20% in two months, hell, in six months, you know, in six months, I'm going to have this permanent terrible dent that I'm never going to be able to recover from. I'll sell out now and buy back in when things are good.
0: It's, Except uh, The downturns are quick and they're so easily seeable in the after you know after in retrospect. Retrospect. yeah in retrospect yes. we all know it retrospect but yeah we don't know it before it happens and
1: people it's like trying to catch a falling knife it's people extrapolate that it's so hard to pin when's the bottom it's an impossible it's an impossible task and then when people try and buy back in it's mentally impossible because if you were uncomfortable when the market was at 18000 how do you possibly buy back in at 20,000 and 24,000 and 28? So it puts them in an impossible situation. Um, quick, there's also
0: you... yeah. oh, go ahead, go ahead, finish your last thought. There's also sometimes
1: tools and opportunities that come with a crash. Sometimes there's great assets that okay, your stuff dropped, but there's something else that's great that also dropped that that dropped that you can take advantage of. And that's the time to act and and really part of it is to have a plan and be ready for these things to happen. Have your contingency plans ready for what happens in case things go down, in case things go up. There's, There's got to be contingency either way.
0: Steve, I want you, uh, we didn't talk about this, so I and mean, I hadn't mentioned it before, but Monte Carlo modeling, I know you use some form of it, or, or Monte, could you explain to our listeners what that is? and you know, I mean, that's a great reason why you want to use a professional financial planner to start with. But Ken, let's talk about Monte Carlo modeling. So someone developed
1: Monte Carlo because at first when people were making models, they said, okay, here's what happens if we earn 6% a year forever and we can model out how your portfolio does and your withdrawal rates and everything works out smoothly, nicely. Except that the stock market never behaves quite like that monte carlo accounts for the variability of returns so there might be a long term return of 6 or 8% but in getting there there's a minus 20 a plus 25 a minus 7 a, a minus 6 a plus 30 so what monte carlo does is it takes it takes the returns and puts them in random orders to see what your probability of success is going to work out to be. your withdrawal rate you know what your withdrawal rate is going to be because you know, I need, I need hundred thousand dollars a year to live on, whatever that may be. But if you get a, if you retired in 2000, in 2007, right before the crisis, uh, right before the financial crisis, that may mess up that may mess up your plans because the very first year that you're retired and taking money out was a minus 30% year. So the Monte Carlo takes all the returns of the past 100 years, puts them in various orders, and tries to figure out a probability of, uh, probability of success. And then you measure that by saying, okay, Ron, your probability of your plan' success is 86%. Is that high enough for you to be comfortable or do you need to be at 95% for you to retire and be comfortable? Maybe you need to work another year and a half to move your probability of success and build up your wealth from 85% to 95% because I want you sleeping at night. I don't want you to have an ulcer or to have to change your lifestyle. Once you're retired, it's hard to change your lifestyle.
0: And who wants to? I mean,
1: right. And you can't there. go back to, to enjoy
0: the rest- And I think it's very important for people to realize that we're living longer. So you don't plan for like this 10-year retirement. There's a good chance you're going to have a 25, 35-year retirement, maybe longer that you got to be thinking through. Yeah. Definitely don't want to do it yourself. Steve, it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. What's the best way for our listeners to reach out to you?
1: You can email me at Steve, S-T-E-V-E, period, Mesero, M-E-S-I-R-O-W, at mesro.com or they can contact Amada and you and Jeremy can pass them on to you and Jeremy Absolutely. can pass them on to me.
0: Absolutely. Anyone wants to give me a call, reach out to us. You can, everyone knows how to get a hold of me, ronb at AmadaOffices.com. I will share information. Steve is wonderful to work with. I can't say enough great things. Like I said, anyone that's in Chicago knows Mesro Financials, one of the largest financial firms in the city and been around for, what'd you say, 80, 85 years now. 85 years. Great, great organization and a great person in Steve. So definitely reach out to him. You're working so hard to make your money, but make sure you're putting it away and, under, and I guess deferring your tax burdens so that you can actually save more money and be prepared when you are ready to start taking a little more time off. So Steve, thank me and I show today. Really appreciate having you. Hey, a
1: pleasure. Always fun, Ron.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to Ron Boxdollar and Steve Mezro on the 1958 Lawyer. Tune in next week. It, all of October is financial awareness month. So we're going to be talking with a CFO coming up in the next week and learning how we can uh, be, be making this money or keeping this money that we can actually save with Steve. So thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for listening to the 1958 Lawyer Podcast. If you like the show, tell a friend and please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more about Ron or Amada, go to amadaoffices.com. All the links are also available in show notes.